Welcome to The Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we are in the Light Pod podcast studio in Denver, Colorado, with none other than the Charles Stone. Charles, welcome to Denver. How's it going? It's great. What a beautiful day. Thanks so much for stopping by on your worldwide adventures of traveling. I know you took some time off this summer to be a tourist. No, I went to find myself. And then what happened? I didn't find myself, so I came back and went back to work. (laughs) You came back to work and figured you'd stop by and say hi. We had to record a podcast. And as we were sitting here talking about what's going on in the world and catching up, talking about how it's actually kind of amazing if you can just ship something right now, we realized so much has changed. So today it's time to talk about lighting, the state of lighting design, the state of our industry. And this year, this humble year, 2021, is it still 2021? It doesn't seem to end. No, it really doesn't. I heard someone say at the beginning of this year, it was funny because 2020 was a heck of a year for all of us. It was really tough. And when you say 2021, it's 2021. Get it? Yep. They didn't, it didn't lose, it, it won. Anyways, okay, bad joke. Moving on. Charles, I know that you've had an incredible career in this industry. Most people have had the opportunity to, if not meet you, uh, see one of your lectures, hear you speak at an event. But just quickly remind us, who's Charles and how'd you get your start in lighting? Oh my, that story. I went backstage at the community theater at age 11 as my parents were attempting to find something for me to do instead of becoming a juvenile delinquent. It was there I saw Lico's and Fresnel's and got involved in theater lighting and one thing led to another. I joined a company called Jules Fisher and Paul Morantz in 1983 when I moved up from Washington where I had been working for Claude Engel. And well, ever since I've been at what is now known as Fisher Morantz Stone. And I guess I became president in 2003. Here we are in 21. You've had a heck of a career and you're still going. I I'm mean, not, I'm not done yet. I know you're not done yet. I know you're you're traveling again. You're, I just got on the plane and let's go. You're off to the races. You're going to get an opportunity to hopefully get some new projects. But in the meantime, you've also had an opportunity to not only reflect on all the success your firm has had, but really position it and secure it to move forward. There's so much that's going on in this lighting industry today from literally whether stuff can ship, what the dynamic of everything looks like, how everybody's meeting, the level, the quality of projects, where the projects are coming from. Talk to me a little bit more about what you've seen, what you've experienced, and what you think is on the horizon for all of us. If I could really predict the future, well, we wouldn't be in lighting now, would we? No, we definitely would not. It will be a different world, and I can't quite put my finger on it, but everything's changed either a little or a lot. Imagine what it would have been coming into this working from home situation had we not been ready to do the web and web video calls and screen share technology. You know, just a few years earlier, the pandemic would have been devastating economically in a far worse to the professions and to so much of industry. So we're pretty lucky that way, I think. I would agree. I think you're lucky in the sense that tech is there. It's saved our keister, to put it lightly. But at the same time, it's forced us into a very rapid pace of change. When you look at lighting design specifically, or maybe just 
the design trade in practice. You used to fly around all the time and catch up with people. Meetings were in rooms. There was collaboration. Two people could talk at once. All that has changed, and it's a little different now. What's your experience been like with all of that? You've summed up those issues that don't apply just to a lighting industry situation. I mean, the lack of real full duplex audio is crazy. This business of learning to speak one at a time is, I was never good at it in school, and I'm still not good at it. And that's a real problem. A lot of voices around a table is often a good thing. It's the thing I miss. We'll have to do that again, or the technology will have to just get a lot better than it is. Why is it important to have a lot of voices around a table, literally? I don't think we can tell what we really mean. We can't hear as well. We can't see as well. We can't speak as well. We have to look at each other and literally touch each other. You can't do that quite as well remotely. You know, something I've experienced in my highly virtual environment, then being able to see someone in person, people largely have come up to me and met me for the first time in the flesh. And they say, man, I didn't think you were as tall as you were. I said, what do you mean? (laughs) Based on what? Yeah, Yeah. based on what, right? Then there's the moments where you interact with somebody in person. And then when you see them on screen, you're constantly trying to guess what they're doing because you can only see what they've chosen to allow you to see, right? You can move your eyes around the screen, but the viewpoint on them is fixed with a webcam. And we've talked about this. Uh, You and I have talked about it. You've got to improve the acoustics of the room and the audio and the video to improve this communication as best we can. We as humans, we sit around and we look and we watch. We're able to peek around the corner. We're able to not look at you in the eyes and look at the phone in your pocket or look at the jacket hanging up behind you because we have the dynamic ability to choose what it is we wish to see. I don't want to make it too corny and and get uh, cheesy with lighting here, but when you talk about lighting design and the future of it and now maybe all these limited spaces or limited viewpoints that while they may have been an accessory in a home office or a real office, are becoming, you know, a staple. Everybody wants an extra bedroom in their house that's an office that needs Zoom lighting, literally, or Zoom backgrounds or or whatnot. What do you see coming out of all of this for design, whether it's opportunity or lack of collaboration? You're getting to the topic here, I think. What we really missed is all that hands-on mock-up. I believe we are expert observers and keeping that skill to obtain it as a young designer and to maintain it as an experienced designer requires constant reaffirmation, study, observation. Well, if we're not in dark rooms with light fixtures fooling around and breaking them and pointing them at things and doing mock-ups, how are we going to do that? And so we've just had 18 months where there's been very little of that. It's very difficult to ship samples around the people in their homes in different states. What a mess. I realized to replace that or to find a way to find activities to help maintain the observation skill, I've gone outside. In fact, what I did in this uh, August vacation sabbatical I took was an awful lot of observation and took pictures with the iPhone, but it really wasn't about the pictures of the iPhone. It was about the observational study and compare and contrast. So I'm telling you my story, but I think the message here is, well, you can't replace that with a Zoom meeting. That's one of those things, no matter how good our technology gets, we have to go hold a light fixture in our hands. Mm -hmm. And as a designer, you want to evaluate that fixture. What's that experience been like for you versus how might you see it going forward in the future? Well, meanwhile, the industry's under all this stress, all these projects slow, slow down, slow down. So while we had Projects finishing in 20, I think every lighting designer will confess to you, probably in this room, Sam, that the business is slow or it's slow. Let's put it another way. Projects are slow to start. You get two that are going to start soon and then over the next several months you get 
a new definition for the word soon because no one knows when soon is. My point here is that meanwhile, all the manufacturers, they're under all kinds of stress. Some of them that used to be household names, they won't be around maybe in 2022 or they'll be bought by someone else so they'll change their product lines. Whereas others who were either by planning or good fortune more prepared for this kind of strange downturn and supply chain disruption may thrive and move to the head of the class. That's really interesting. I I think we will see there's a lot of uh, fluidity in uh, how we look at specs and what things will be like month to month and indeed by next year and the year after. When you think about the fluidity of manufacturers, specifications, projects coming soon, working slower, what sort of challenges has that created for you as a designer, as a design firm, not only working in North America, but globally around the world and being able to maintain your fees, your opportunities. Two years go down the road, nothing happens. Do you guys have to redesign everything? That hasn't happened any more than it did before. Because any job that slowed down in the period of the rise of the LED, there were many times when suddenly two or three years went by and all the technology moved along enough that a revisit to the specification became necessary, or at least that discussion. Whether or not somebody wants to pay not just the lighting designer, but the other consultants to make an upgrade to the future, if you will, sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. That's just one more variable. That's not pandemic related in the same way that just a general slowdown and what that period of time does to other changes in how construction is being done. So I think we're seeing, for example, in residential construction, the lower profile fixtures are going to win when business is returning now and you're seeing a residential construction. They want it shipped, they want it now, and they want it shallow. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to fool around with a deep box that requires coordination and a recessed ceiling. So the, the appetite for deeper fixtures is just evaporated in the residential market. I want to talk more about maybe the trends in terms of design here in a second, but I want to go back to talking about being able to, while you can't interact with people on the screen, you can sort of collaborate. There's not a technology replacement for a conversation amongst designers to collaborate, go through a charrette, argue, dictate, whatever it is, but do your thing. That's a big change that you've had to experience Well, I'm experiencing it now as things are beginning because the in-person meeting, it's called an in-person meeting, and it's actually a kind of category. hasn't been expressed that way. No, you're absolutely right. All of a sudden, to take a page out of your book, right? In the early 2000s, LED came on board, and then you would go to client meetings. And in 2014, somebody would say, hey, we'd like to put an LED light fixture in the room. And you said, you can drop LED. They're all LED. We're putting light fixtures in the room, and they're all LEDs. We used to inherently just say, hey, let's go have a meeting. And that meant let's show up. Right. That's no more. It's hilarious. hilarious. Actually, hey, you want to have a meeting? Yeah, in person or online? No, they don't even say that. They'll actually say, we are planning to have an in-person meeting and just had this conversation yesterday. It may occur in November and we'll have several meetings before that and there'll be screen share meetings in there. The good news is they're better with agendas and they're better, they're scripted now in a way that actually more respectful of people's time, I think. And you're saying those in-person meetings, they're respectful of people's time. Like we're here together for a reason. Let's make sure we 
execute on that? All the really important, when I think of projects of the last several years, I would go to these meetings, a couple of the kickoff meetings for sure. There might be 10 or even 40 people in such a meeting. Of course, the lighting portion of the meeting would be about 14 minutes. And in some sense, it was a complete waste of time, except it really wasn't because you got to shake hands with all those people and have private conversations and personal conversations and establish relationships. Before, during, and after. Yeah, and and at dinner or walking to some job site or something. You can't replace that. We still need to have in-person meetings. But it was not uncommon to have a meeting once a month or every two weeks in another city and somebody would have to go. Well, that's, forget that. Now it's assumed that there'll be very limited in-person meetings. That's a big change. And do you think that's a change that, I mean, it was forced, so I would never say it was welcomed, but can we welcome it at this point so long as there's this hybrid approach or what I really like to say, blended approach to doing business? Yes, but I think it'll evolve month to month. You start walking through the airport yesterday, it, it was busy. It was time of day, other other factors, but it didn't look like people weren't having meetings. Maybe they were just going to see Aunt Millie. I, I don't know exactly what all those people were doing, but there were a lot of them in the airport. I can't, I think it's going to be month to month. But seriously, I think you're right. I think there's a hybrid approach now to project collaboration. It's a good thing and it will be with us now. That's the way we're going to do it. And do you think that that stems from, there's obviously a cost factor across all of this, but there's also efficiency and most importantly, I mean, just how we feel as people and maybe not having to be everywhere all the time and have more of a routine and a rhythm. I don't know for sure whether it's more efficient or less efficient. There are so many variables in making that calculation. What would you say some of those variables are? Well, when somebody's working from home, how many hours are they working? Are they really working 10 or 20? 12 hours like they say they are some days or are they taking care of the dog and the cat and the kid and a one hour collaborative you know teams or go-to meeting session might be the same as a five minute talk around a table too there are hidden inefficiencies i do it too i mean we're all in the same yeah we're all in the same boat i think one of the interesting things is especially in the business of design so much of what happens is measured in time and billable hours in these sorts and such of things but what really matters it's getting the work done and getting it done the right way i think we're in a period of uncertainty there great disruption and uncertainty there's a lot of fee pressure more than ever and we think about it it makes sense there are really fewer jobs starting and if you're a developer or an owner and you want to buy lighting design services, probably find someone to do it cheaper every time. That ends badly. It ends terribly, actually. It devalues the entire industry. Mm, I'm not so worried about that. There's going to be a lot of bad lighting, though. And not because they're bad lighting designers doing it for less money, because ultimately some will go out of business, some won't have the time, they won't be able to keep up with the work. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. If lighting design is a real professional service, as it is for the top quintile of work in the United States anyway, then you have to be treated and paid like a professional and experience matters, etc. If lighting design is somebody in a kitchen table who likes to play with light and doesn't really understand liability insurance, these are worlds apart. Worlds apart, but you can argue ultimately they're doing the same thing. They're deciding where to put a light in a space. Well, that depends on which client values it and believes they need it. When you look at the change that this has created, that is a direct result of the pandemic. Is there anything else that you feel has changed in the world of lighting design due to the pandemic and the change in the ability to operate like the industry has for 50 years? It's coincidence in part, but the pandemic amplifies the new interest in health and well-being as it relates to lighting. I think that's more than a trend, and that'll be a part of how fixtures are designed and brought to market. That'll be a part of the design discussions. It's unclear to me whether 
developers and owners are embracing that and understanding the cost that it brings with it. But time will tell. What do you think is driving that interest that's not pandemic related? It sounds like that was something that- It was happening already. It was brewing. The whole uh, circadian rhythm discussion was happening. Remember in 2017, 18, and 19, we were all talking about that. The Well Building Institute and the Lead Well standards were coming online. There was a lot of research being published. There was even uh, controversy between the IAS and the American Medical Association about wavelengths of light as a placeholder for melanopic stimulus and how that should be handled by lighting designers in nighttime environments. Well, that hasn't gone away. We're going to be dealing with that in the next uh, several years, and it'll be promulgated into standards, I'm sure. You mentioned owners, people who are asking for this sort of stuff may not quite understand the costs associated with it, but are there always going to be a cost associated with a different way to look at manufacturing something that isn't simply just a premium? I mean, is there a way that we can kind of say, well, this matters, so let's shift the focus and everybody can make money here, but we don't need to elevate it to the point where it's like, unless you want to double the price of your lighting, forget about it. Well, it's usually not that simplistic. I mean, we're only just a few steps in time past the moment where, picture this, the lighting design proposals arrive at the project management meeting with the owner and the construction manager and all the contractors there. And they say, okay, now we need to pick a lighting designer. And down the other end of the table, the electrical contractor chief guy leans forward and says, oh, don't worry about that. We got you covered. The project's all LED. And the owner says, oh, okay, that sounds good. What's the next item? So I make a joke out of it, except I'll bet you that happens. Still today. And I bet you it happens today where you don't get, you don't need a lighting designer. It's all LED. There's so much misunderstanding and ignorance. It's like the vaccine controversies. You know, there's so much ignorance and lack of education baked into that little joke about LEDs that you just slap your forehead and you don't know where to begin here to unpack that. I think, once again, the understanding of, for example, in the so-called circadian rhythm issue in lighting for interiors is pretty complicated, and it's complicated to implement a meaningful solution. And complicated almost always means expensive. I would agree with you. I think complicated means expensive from the standpoint of nobody quite understands how to design for it or to it. Nobody quite understands how to design and build for it. And while the theory is out there, we're potentially using more energy, more equipment with less directive from the standpoint of, well, we'll give it a try and figure it out. I got to argue, you got to start somewhere. That's right. right. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Right now, there is a hundred percent of movement to, I think, really ratchet down on this stuff. There's a lot of reason to use things products, whether it's design service, your main product, right? That you're selling to your clients or manufacturers, literal luminaires in their enhanced capabilities. Maybe I should put that in air quotes, right? Right. Quote, enhanced capabilities. Or you could just say, yeah, it's all technology and everything's changing. When you look at the state of design, when you look at the need to standardize on some of this stuff and we're headed in the right direction, who do you see merging to continue to help us form that aside from those that we know so much so already about, like the IES? Let me enter it in two ways. I'm optimistic. Look at the adoption of LED lighting in all sorts of small office, big office, residential markets. It turned out a lot better than I thought it might. In the hotel I stayed in last night, they almost got it right. Things are dimmable, the color temperatures are pretty warm inside. You can buy LED retrofit lamps that are pretty good and pretty warm and dim pretty well if you just take a little time at making selection. My point is, it was such a disruptive 10 years and yet it's turning out pretty well. The adoption of these technologies 
is happening because of influence from all kinds of different entities, directions, organizations. So you have the IES. You also have the whole design community, which includes interior designers and architects, and notably the IALD. Uh, so you have design constituencies that care and are involved in influencing. Ultimately, it'll be driven by what some big projects do, and who knows what those are, what big like, office campus projects or big institutional projects for foundations or academic will create the volume to incorporate in products a next level of technology that will ultimately be in the marketplace and be competitive, even though they'll just be cost a little bit more because they'll be a lot better. You know, you bring up an interesting point. I'm going to turn it into a chicken and the egg question. I think those opportunities are 100% are out there. We have no clue where they are. Maybe somebody knows a little bit about one of them or two of them or something like that because they are the owner, developer, they're right now. RFP for design based on the future opportunity of what a smart building or something can be. But in your opinion, what ticks it first? Is it manufacturers taking the hedge and the bet and truly taking those capabilities and producing something that gets everyone excited? Or is it the design community challenging and saying, we know this is a capability of yours. We know it can make a difference in demanding it. I think it happens both ways. I don't. It's chicken egg. Yeah. Which came first. In my career, I've seen it happen both ways. Sometimes we're actually able to influence product development, and other times somebody else has done that work that I may never know who it is, actually. And then suddenly a product is there. Hmm, look at this. This is better. <laughs> this has a different technology in it. This does something very interesting. Do you think, as you look at your landscape, uh, your firm, what what the future holds for you, what part of this conversation, what part of that change in dynamic or the opportunity to move forward in terms of light and health and sustainability gravitates or or I should say maybe floats to the top because that's what everybody seems to be concerned or or want to drill into. Well, what better way to optimize the use of energy for lighting and product for lighting than to hire a professional to help you do it, someone who's experienced in it. So the lighting designer, we ought to be viewed and used at the forefront of adoption of better technology that comes into the category of stewardship, I think. I would argue I think this is probably one of the most incredible times to be a lighting designer. Oh, yeah. I think that business is business and selling when people's pockets are maybe a little more empty than they have been or they're a little less willing to pay people for things when they, quote, can get it somewhere else or don't necessarily need it. Not only is energy a big thing, but there's more going into a light and a luminaire than ever before. Whether or not it's a sensor, whether or not it's an integrated approach to respond on demand based on triggers, who's in the room, programming that's dynamic, controlled off-site. I mean, there's so much that goes into lighting that's beyond just light. Somebody's got to be responsible for that. And you sure as heck don't want your IT guy doing your lighting design. Oh, that's an interesting uh, observation because all this uh, power over Ethernet discussion that comes into a lot of big office projects, you really are standing on the fence between IT and lighting design. And it's been an important responsibility, I think, for me to frequently explain that to the owners and the architects. Where the overlap occurs, where lighting design involving your visual system and engineering have to make nice along the fence. It's a really interesting problem because I don't want to be an electrical engineer. 
I need a good one. You need a good one. So my big question is, what do lighting designers do? Where do you go from here? If your lights are all of a sudden going to do more than just provide light, how do you do it? Do you have more people at your company that do it? Do you have strategic partners? Is well, those it- are business case discussions to have. I'm sure that some of the engineering-based lighting practices can come to terms with that much more easily than a firm like ours, which is strictly, we are strictly lighting designers. And it doesn't trouble me because I've seen a lot of really bad lighting done that's supposed to be very energy efficient and it's powered over the ethernet or something like that. It doesn't threaten me as a professionally at the end of days there. We're going to have to work that out. When owners who care what it looks like, who want to feel that magic, as we call it, when they go to the project, are going to need a lighting designer. That's just the way it is. They're going to need a lighting designer because fundamentally you don't see without lighting the space. And everybody knows bad lighting and nobody knows good lighting. There's a whole realm of concerns, integration, collaboration, product selection that has to be looked after to achieve that luminous environment result that satisfies the design intent. We can do it, and it's difficult. In my experience, all those who claim they can do it while they're expert engineers or expert at the digital world or even architects, they just don't have the time or the expertise or the experience or a combination or maybe even the talent to look after it because you have to look after all the time. Fundamentally, I think it comes back to core competency. That's right. Lighting design is yours. A lighting designer and engineering firm has maybe two core competencies, but it's two different people doing two different things. Now, yes, could you argue it's easier for them to work together? because they sit at desks well, next to each the, other. You, that's you, the thesis. You, you can, yeah. except today you're all at home staring on screens and nobody's closer than anyone else. To me, it's interesting because it's a level playing field right now. For the first time, nobody has a competitive advantage because their office is cooler or closer to home. Everybody's at home. It's, re- everybody's, it's really true. Everybody's in front of a screen. Everybody has the same experience right now. And really, the only benefit is how much, I guess, trust or loyalty there is in in both directions, but it's no different otherwise. I mean, that to me is blasting the doors off this preconceived notion of we've all got to be in the same town within 30 minutes of each other to work together. We talked about that blended approach earlier. Get on a plane. Do it once every two months, not every week. Create structure around the time you're going to be in person. Use it efficiently. I agree with you, but I believe there's a lot of pressure right now to hire local. It's obvious. Well, that doesn't really trouble me either. These things don't trouble me. I think they should, but they don't. On one hand, yeah, you can argue both ways. I don't think it's necessarily so much an argument or or differentiating thing as opposed to an observation of the way people are more free to say, well, what does it really matter? I get it, they're here or this is that, or I like working with them because we go hang out. Well, it will be interesting to see how that evolves as we come out of pandemic, as the phrase we like to use, as we come out of pandemic. Now, I can't ask my next question, but I'll just put it out there so we can all think about it. When does that happen? Of course, none of us know. When I I decided it happened for me this week. It it did. I can't stand it anymore. It happens when you start living your life in some way, shape, form, or fashion. I've had my shots. I'm like a poodle. There you go. You got you got all three of them. I am. You're boost. You're I'm boosted. you're vaxxed and boosted up, and off you go. You have a a sense of staying healthy and safe and doing all the right things. At the same time, you know, Charles, I think you spent more time in airplanes than you did in any one city or state before this pandemic. And I've got to imagine that you do look at things just a bit differently. I do. Moving forward, what do you feel like will suit you best? Oh. 
I guess the hybrid, like you suggest, but I don't know what it looks like yet. I'm more curious about, before we started here, we were talking about the advocacy and support for the lighting design profession. I'm interested to see what happens in that realm in the next three, six, 12 months. I think we're the sharp tip of the spear the pointy bit for a lot of manufacturing of architectural lighting. We're the ones that will essentially be promoting advancement because we all want to do something different or better or bespoke for a project. Any of those things could be drivers. So I feel like the industry needs us. I hope they know that. And if I'm wrong, I hope they call me and tell me, you know, you're wrong about that, Charles. Why don't you come work in our factory? I, you know, maybe I'll get that call. Oh, man, why, don't but, you, why don't you build stuff for yeah, us? Yeah, why don't you come over here? I have a feeling I might be right. And so I'm curious to see what the continuing response will be because it's a tough time for organizations such as the ILD. They're just suffering mightily because the whole sponsorship story collapsed during the pandemic. Yeah, and I don't, I mean... I don't know if people know, but the IALD and the IES have a very, very strong funding vehicle known as Lightfair. That's correct. And for everybody out there that wonders what Lightfair has been like and what it's done for our industry, we'll take a look around. They've funded the two biggest nonprofits in our organization. And there's a way that that all needs to continue to be supported from the standpoint of, I'm not going to tell everybody they need to go to a trade show floor for six days. But there's no reason Lightfair as an organization, as an entity, as a support vehicle to the industry can't adapt to that. And they already are, right? I mean, you and I both had the opportunity to work with people this year at Light Fair, and they went blended and hybrid. They said, come to the show floor if you can, and if you can't, here's some digital opportunities. We got to continue to support our industry and not just give up. Yeah, and full disclosure, as you know, I'm a Light Fair ambassador. Yes, you are. A role which we have defined it as we go along. And as you will find, I think, in, gosh, every manufacturing entity, every organization such as Lightfair or the IS or the ILD, there are staff changes all over the place. It's all new faces everywhere. So this evolution coming out of pandemic, this is for real. You have all different leadership and there'll be new agendas. There'll be new hot topics. It's a pretty exciting time. I think you make a good point. You know, the support for independent lighting design. Well, it has to come from somewhere. Sure uh, does. I feel a little under-supported by our clients at the moment, I guess. Sure. Uh, or maybe I wish I had more clients to be joining in. I think I'm speaking for every single proprietor of a lighting design business. So we hope that they recover so we can recover. And what does that look like? I really do think we'll be doing different things. The projects will be different. There's new emphasis. It's been a year, whole year since I developed a whole thesis that I called outside light because I believe and still do that uh, so much of emphasis in development work, not just development, all these big project typologies I mentioned earlier, academic foundations, even your neighborhood restaurants, they all want more outside space. And that outside space will be done at a higher level of finish. And that means lighting will be a bigger part of it. And so that's a whole shift in where the dollars go in construction and the attention and dollars go in design. That's going to be one of the things we see differently. That's that's not a new idea. I had that idea a year ago and everybody else who thinks about it has the same idea. So there'll be other changes that I have no idea what they are. I'm really excited with curiosity to find out what they are. If you could sum it all up, I'll let you either agree or disagree with what I'm about to say. 
2021 has shown us that not only is change upon us, but it's happening and it's going to continue to happen at probably a potentially bigger scale than the industry's ever experienced before. True, oh, true or false? I think Professor Delora might disagree. Yeah, okay. His right. famous lecture about every 20 years or so, the entire lighting world was disrupted by technology. Okay. Well, maybe we're having a double disruption. All right. I'm going to fall on the sword here. I'm only 33, so I've only seen it once. <laughs> so I guess I should have said it in my lifetime. But You're forgiven. I appreciate it. We got a lot of change coming. We got a lot of- We ex- got a lot of change coming. We got a lot of exciting things to look forward to, both in uh, new initiatives, the opportunity to run our businesses differently, the opportunity to teach employees in a different way, or maybe even find them or reach out to them or grow the industry as a whole. Bottom line is we got to support the heartbeat of it all. And that's design because without design, well, uh, I believe you said those low profile, very cheap, glary, efficient <laughs> lights are naturally going to gravitate and end up everywhere. It's going to be exciting, isn't it? It is. 2022 does not say that 2021. I'm almost ready for 2022. Well, it's almost here. So, <laughs> so, so don't worry about it. Charles, I appreciate you catching up with me today and I'll sharing, come back. sharing your thoughts about what it's been like, the state of where we are, and maybe what we can all look forward to in the future. Enjoy your travels. Stay safe on those planes. Come see us again soon. We'll talk to you. All right. Thanks. Good luck. See you soon. See ya. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Light Pod. If you enjoyed it, do me a favor and click that like, follow, or subscribe button. That's the best way to never miss another episode where we talk to people about all things lighting who have inspirational and thought-provoking conversations to share. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.